you ever hang out with a preacher, you'll find out that they can find illustrations in the weirdest things. So the other day, I went out to lunch, and I went to a uh, with some friends. We went to a good old meet and three. Now, I never heard that term until I came to this church, and uh, I never knew that that was a description of a restaurant. But the good old meat three is that place where you can go and get a meat and two to three vegetables and, and get your good old vegetables for the day and have some good food. Well, we were at a famous meat and threes the other day, and uh, we were going, and of course this place, uh, and those good places that uh, have got the good home cooking, of course are not going to take credit cards, they're not going to take debit cards. My generation, all we have is cards. We don't carry cash. But this day, I had to go by the bank, and I got my cash, and got a nice crisp $20 bill so I could break it and see how far it went. So we go to the bank. I get the $20 bill. We get to the meet and three, and, man, there it is. The smell is already starting. The line is almost out the door. You just know you're going to get some good food. So I get up there, and, of course, they've got this plethora of of decisions to make on what you want to eat, and, and I got my plate, and I was getting ready to check out, and I reached in my wallet and got my $20 bill, and gave it to the guy behind the counter, and he looked at it, and he took it, and he looked up to the light, he held it up to the light, and then he put it back down, and, and gave me my change, and we were on the way, and I, this is what, it, it probably took him a matter of seconds to do, like in, in two seconds, he just went... And then put it back. And I, inside my mind, you know, that, have you ever been scared of getting caught for something, but you know you didn't do it? You know, and, and the, the thing is, is that, that I know that I didn't print that $20 bill, that that $20 bill was not counterfeit. But then I thought, oh, my goodness, what if the bank didn't catch it and they gave me a counterfeit $20 bill? You know, who does, does he not know that I'm a preacher? I'm not going to try to pass off a fake $20 bill. And so all of these things are going in my brain, and I'm, I'm just kind of freaking out about it. And then, luckily, like I said, it only took him a second. He looked up, and then the transaction went by. And I'm still kind of like, I wonder why he did that with me. Is, do my eyes look shifty? You know, what was it about me? Then I noticed any time anybody gave him a 20 he did that. And if you go to any store nowadays, most of the time, I guess people aren't bothering uh, to counterfeit $1 bills or $5 bills. It's always the 20s, I guess. But the thing is, is that there is actually a special team of the United States Treasury Department that does nothing but try to spot counterfeit money. And they train stores on how to spot counterfeit money. And now, when you think about counterfeit money, the thing is, is that there could be so many different variations of different people that are printing money illegally. And so how in the world does a cashier at a meet and three be able to discern between a counterfeit bill and a real bill? There's no way they could study every bill that's ever been printed counterfeit-wise and know the difference. How can they tell the difference? The difference is, is they study a real $20 bill. And they know everything about a $20 bill. And evidently, if you hold it up in the light, there is something that you can tell that, that makes a $20 bill genuine. And so as he did that, I thought, this guy here, here is the illustration, is that he doesn't study the counterfeit dollar bill, $20 bills. He studies the original $20 bill. 
He holds it up to the light. And he sees whether it's genuine or not. And then if it is, it has value. And he goes on with the transaction. And I sat down and, and of course I'm thinking, that'll preach. And so as I sat down, I thought, man, he did that with the guy behind me too. And the guy behind him. So I realized he wasn't, he wasn't uh, singling me out. He just did that anytime somebody gave cash. Made me feel a little bit better. I didn't feel like I was doing something wrong. You know what I mean? But here's the thing, folks. As John is writing his letter, we come to the point now to where, if you remember, the church had some problems and there were people that were actually leaving the church not to go to another church, not church hopping. They weren't swapping sheep. What they were doing is there were people that were in the church that left not only the church, but left God, left the worship of Christ, and were gone. And in the, so he is writing here to know, that you know that whether a Christian is genuine or not. How do you know a Christian is genuine or not? You hold them up to the light. The light of Christ. And the light of God's Word. And you take that person, compare it through the lens of this word, and those that are living as Christ has called us to live will be seen as genuine. And those that are not are going to be counterfeit. So as we look at counterfeit Christians, we have to be brave enough this morning to examine ourselves. I, I ask you that uh, this is not, the purpose of this is not to to, uh, to scare, any, scare someone into that you've lost your salvation, but it is an examination. We have to examine our motives for why we go to church, why we worship, why we call ourselves a Christian, and examine if we are the real deal or not. And that's what James is telling this church here. But it, it takes some courage, it takes some bravery to look at ourselves in this light. But let me just tell you something. As we look at the message today, it's called, He Loves Me, He Loves Me Not. And many of you, when you were kids, maybe even older, maybe even today, you'll get that flower and think about that person. He loves me, He loves me not, He loves me, He loves me not. He loves me. Woo! And if you get, He loves me not, then you're going to go get another flower and try again, right? Uh, I can remember as a kid, I wouldn't say He loves me, but I'd say She loves me, She loves me not. And... Uh, there was not a safe dandelion in our whole yard. I mean, you know, it was like God's providential anointing on this flower that whether I was going to find this person or not. But in all seriousness, I want you to understand something today. God loves you. Whether you are right beside Him or whether you are far from Him, whether you claim Him as your God or you are running from Him, either way it doesn't matter. God loves you. And Satan hates you. And why does Satan hate God's children so much? Is because we are a reminder of what he will never be. Well, as we look at our passage this morning, let's look at verses 1 through 6. And that God loves you. What does that mean, God loves you? Starting with verse 1 of chapter 3, it says, Look at how... Great a love the Father has given us that we should be called God's children. Underline that if, if you do underline in your Bible that we should be called God's children. And we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it didn't know Him. Dear friends, we are God's children now and what we will be has not yet been revealed. 
we know that when he appears, we will be like him, because we will see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Everyone who commits sin also breaks the law. Sin is breaking of the law. You know that he was it, well. You know that he was revealed so that he might take away sins, and there is no sin in him. Everyone says everyone. Everyone who remains in him does not sin, and everyone who sins has not seen him or know him. Just as a disclaimer before we get into the meat of this, when it says that if you know him, you do not sin, I want you to understand it doesn't mean that if you are a Christian, you should not sin at all, that you should be perfect. If someone has told you that, that is a lie, because we are all sinners and fall short of the glory of God. And he's not talking about those who fall into sin, confess and come out of it, but he's talking about those who not only commit sins, but live in those sins. And that's what we're talking about this morning. But we see here as we start, God's love is the starting point of our salvation. For those that claim to know Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord, the whole process started with God's love for you. And God's love for me. He loved us so much that when He saw us, He knew that we needed a Messiah. We needed a Savior. We can read in the Old Testament how the entire Old Testament leads us to the Messiah, Jesus Christ, being born, living on this world, and dying for our sins. Romans 5.8 says that while we were still sinners, while we were still messed up, that He sent His Son Jesus to die for our sins. Our worth is not found in our achievements, folks. Our, works, our, our worth is not found in our failures. Our worth is found in God. Years ago, especially in the education system, there was a big push, and there might be still today, on um, fostering a kid's self-esteem. Make sure that they feel good about themselves. I am all for that. Kids need to have a healthy self-esteem. But according to the Bible, it needs to be placed, a self-esteem needs to be placed in love. The love of a heavenly father for a child. A family that puts their kid in church, takes them to vacation Bible school, and learn, those children learn that God loves them whether they make an A, B, C, or D, or whether they are first string or third string, or whether they get that blue metal ribbon on field day, or whether they get nothing but a cold drink of water. That we do fail. Failure is part of life. We fail so that we can get up and try again. But if we spend all of our life placing our self-worth within ourself, we end up putting ourselves on the altar that was meant for God. It becomes self-worship. And when we worship ourselves, we lose sight of the fact that God Loves us. Do you know, church member, today? Do you know, person, that God loves you? You say, preacher, I hear that every Sunday from you, and I, you know, I got this. Let it sink in, as if it were the last time you would ever hear this. That God loves you. 
That speaks volumes. No matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, no matter what you're in the middle of, or what you're going to go through, God loves you. We see here in verse 1 that what we are. We are God's children. God calls us His children. And it also shows us what we are going to be. In verse 2, this references Christ's return. God's love does not stop at our salvation. I want you to understand, God's love does not stop. It's not like He says, You're saved. We're good. I'll see you when the sun comes back. You know, that's what the deists believe. The deists believe that God saves us and then just puts the world in motion and we sit back and He just watches. Kind of like we watch our favorite television shows. It puts the responsibility on the man to make his life rather than what God provides. And that is wrong. God saves us. And God is relentless in His pursuit of us. It says in the Scriptures that we will be like Him in our glorified bodies, ready for heaven. i, I got to tell you what. I mean, I know getting old stinks. I understand that. I mean, you know, you get that, uh, that furniture disease where your chest goes into your drawers. You know what I'm talking about? And, and you know, gravity starts taking its toll. And, and you've got to be active. You've got to work out. And you've got to do all these things. But I am so glad to know that one day when this body is in the ground or this body is done that I'm going to get my heavenly body and I'm going to be glorified and I'm going to be with Jesus and everything that He has said in His Scripture is going to be true. That this body is going to be gone and I'm going to be in my glorified body. And that's true for anyone, as John says, that calls God calls them as their children. That is the hope that we have for. Listen to this, folks. I am not perfect. I do not, I do not look like, you know, a... A, a, a model or, or, you know, something you see in a magazine. I'm okay with that. And I understand that. And you are not what you used to be. I am not what I used to be. But just think about what I'm going to be. And just think about what you're going to be. Our world places so much focus on what we look like and what we accumulate. But in the matter of a blink of an eye, all of that is going to go away, and we're not going to need that anymore. God loves you as you are. He calls you His child, and He is going to not only save you, He is going to perfect you, is what John is saying here. We also see a real love in this passage. We are saved by God's grace. Amen? We are saved by God's grace. What do we do to deserve salvation? Absolutely nothing. Grace is what saves us. But again, God's love is the one that initiated it. We are saved by grace. But we are saved through God's love. Okay? And then, for example, uh, when you and I would go out as children and play and get dirty... Our parents would make us clean up before we come inside, would they not? And our parents loved us enough to clean us up so that we could have fellowship with them. 
So understand this, that when we had when we had gone outside to play and we were dirty, our parents loved us enough to clean us up so we could come inside and be with them again. When we have had sin in our lives, God, our Heavenly Father, loved us so much that no matter how bad you messed up, and no matter how bad I messed up, it doesn't matter, you could have been a little dirt on your pants or you could have needed a hazmat team to clean you off. God cleans you up so that you can have fellowship with Him. And He offered salvation to you. And if you're in here this morning and you've never had that type of deep cleaning before, He offers it to you today. We see real love in this. And folks, if we truly love God, if we truly love God, this is where John starts to turn the the point here. If we truly love God, We're not going to want to sin. If we truly love God, we are not going to have a desire to continually sin. Why is that? Because when we were saved, we became a new creation, a new creature. The old had gone, and the new was born of God. So when it comes to loving God, let me show you this quote, loving God. Loving God means that we love the things He loves, And we hate the things He hates. Loving God means that we love the things He loves. And hate the things that we hate. And what we have here that John is writing about. And what we have in the church. That people loved God. But they loved the things of the world even more. The worldly traditions. And the worldly Pagan rituals had crept their way into the worship. Had crept its way into a place that was reserved for God. Folks, I'm not saying that if you are a Christian that you will never sin. But what I'm saying is is when you sin, you ought not to like it. You ought not to enjoy it. You might enjoy it for a time. But there is a work greater that's in you. And we're going to talk about that. The second thing is we see he loves, we already talked about God loves you. Also we see he loves me not. And I'm not talking about God here, but I'm talking about Satan himself. Verses 7 through 8 say, Little children, let no one deceive you. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who commits sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the very beginning. We have evil in our, in our world, and we have an influencer called the devil. We have our own sinful desire that works against us. But what I want you to know is these are things that test our love for God. We were talking in our, our Bible study this morning about why in the world did God, even in the very beginning, give us a tree of life and a tree of knowledge. God uh, gave, put evil in the garden and gave Adam and Eve a choice. Why? Because he wanted us to come to him. in our own free will, that we choose Him. Now remember, I'll also say though that salvation only happens when God draws. Salvation is an action of God drawing us and us accepting Him. There is nothing that we can do to make it happen if He's not drawing us. But, just like Adam and Eve, He gave them an opportunity to choose, and they chose poorly. And as we see here, Those who know God obey God, and those who do not know God 
Obey the devil. Now, obeying Satan, when I say obeying Satan, I kind of thought in my mind, but some people will think, well, I'm not a Satan worshiper. You know, I, I, I don't have a pentagram in my living room. I don't play with those Ouija bars, and I don't do any of those nasty things. You know, being a, worshiping Satan is not necessarily like what you see in the movies. Those people are out there. And you might have people, and some of you, I know I've talked to you, some of you have people that are worshiping evil things. But Satan worship could be as simple as getting up in the morning and you putting your will before God's will. Let's not make it something that's so extreme that we think we don't do it. Every one of us, every day, have a choice. We either worship God through obedience or we worship the Satan through disobedience. That is a daily choice that we make. Satan, though, the truth about Satan or, or, or the devil or Lucifer, or whatever you want to call him, Satan is obsessed. He is obsessed in his opposition to Christ and God's people. We see that Satan was once with God until he rebelled. That's found in Isaiah 14. Also, Satan is not these things. Satan is not all-present. Satan is not all-knowing. Satan is not all-powerful. He can only run as far as the leash that God has put him on. God is in control. And the Bible says that there is one day where God is going to let go of the leash and let Satan have free reign on this world. But right now, he's held back by whatever God allows. But he's not all-present, he's not all-knowing, he's not all-powerful, but he does have helpers. It says in Revelation 12.4 that his tail swept away a third of the stars in heaven and hurled them to the earth. Biblical scholars believe that the term stars is a metaphor for angels. So you, I, you might not know this, but you've heard that one-third of the angels are, are sent to earth from heaven. They were kicked out of heaven. The, that's not a Bible verse that says the angels were kicked out. This is the verse they're talking about. In Revelation 12.4, the stars are angels. And we see that it's a metaphor for the angels that have been fallen. Now, listen, I know everyone in here, you know, y'all are going to think, I believe in angels. I've seen angels work. I've felt the presence of angels, and that's okay. But I'm here to tell you, what is a demon? A demon is a fallen angel. And they are on this earth. And they are working. And there is a battle that's going on. Paul says it best in Ephesians 6, where he says that Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 12, Finally, be strengthened in the Lord, and by his vast strength... Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the tactics of the devil. For our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, and against the world powers of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavens. Satan does not love you. He is your adversary. He hates you. Why does, God, why, why does Satan hate you so much? Is because God loves you. And everything that you have, He could have had if He hadn't rebelled. You, my friend, my follower of Christ, my child of God, remind Satan of what he will never have. 
Finally, we see that God's purpose for us is to remain and live righteously. In verses 8 through 10, we see that it says, The one who commits sin is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God was revealed for this purpose, to destroy the devil's works. Everyone who sinned, or everyone who has been born of God, does not sin because his seed remains in him. Because his seed remains in him, he is not able to sin because he has been born of God. This is how God's children and the devil's children are made evident. When you have the time of judgment where the wheat and the tares are going to be separated or the the sheep from the goats are going to be separated from those that are true Christians and those that have lived the lie, how are you going to be able to tell a difference? This passage says that those who do evil are not of God. Those who abstain from evil are of God. Well, What does that mean? Well, we see here that Jesus is our defense. Jesus' purpose was to destroy the devil. Now, the word destroy here does not mean annihilate and wipe out. What it means is that Jesus has come to defend us and to, to thwart, to sabotage, to work against, to be the resistance to what the devil wants to do in this world. Satan has come to destroy us. Jesus, his purpose, has come to render Satan's plans inoperative. To rob them of power and to sabotage them. Listen, folks, Satan may cause you to lose a few battles in your life. But the war is already won. You might lose some battles, but the war is already won. Everyone sins. But remember I've talked about the counterfeit, holding it up to the light. Everyone sins. Again, Romans 3.23, for all sin and fall short of the glory of God. Everyone sins, but not everyone remains in that sin. What John is saying here, the issue is not committing a sin. The issue is not committing a sin. The issue is continuing a sin. There's a difference Is God's forgiveness available for us when we commit a sin? Absolutely. Is God's grace available for us when we continue in sin? Absolutely. But someone who claims to be a Christian and to be a follower of Jesus Christ and their life is no different than the things that people that aren't Christians do, then there is a problem. A a true Christian cannot enjoy and continue and remain in sin Because we should not love the things that God does not love. Jesus said himself in in John um, 15, If a man remains in me, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Folks, if you remain in sin, and God has convicted you of that sin, and you remain in that sin, that is called rebellion. And it is costly. And if someone, may, there might have been someone that prayed a prayer when they were little, and all they did is pray a prayer, and they think that they are saved, but they have lived their life far from the Lord, doing nothing that has to do with the Lord, and they're not convicted by it, and they are enjoying their life, 
That's the person John is talking about. But listen to me, Christian. If you are in here and you have been in a continual sin, God's love is still for you. Because we as Christians cannot sin and enjoy it. You want to know why? Because when we become a new creation, we have the Holy Spirit in our lives. And that Holy Spirit, some would call it a conscience, but that Holy Spirit tells us that what we're doing is wrong. But we can keep on and keep on and keep on until the Holy Spirit stops talking. The Bible calls that a hardening of our hearts. But true Christians will not remain in sin. We see that the Bible talks about the seed. Our new nature cannot sin. That seed is the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians 5.17 is the passage that talks about if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. A Christian has a responsibility to live by their new nature, not their old one. I'll put it this way. There was a group of teenagers that were enjoying a Saturday night out. One mentioned to their parents, or one of the kids mentioned that their parents were not at home, and they invited everyone to come over for some unsupervised party time. That's never happened here, has it? They went to a house for some unsupervised party time. But Susie said to her her date, My parents don't approve of me going out to a house that does not have parents there. And the boyfriend said, Oh, yeah, right. Are you afraid your dad's going to hurt you if you go? And Susie said, No, I'm afraid I'm going to hurt him if I go. That is what God is talking about here. When we sin, our sin is against God. And for time purposes, I will tell you that struggling with sin is an everyday thing. And if you want to read more on that, Romans chapter 7, Paul does an excellent job of talking about the battle of struggling with sin. He finds his strength in the struggle. There is victory in the struggle. Remember, you know, when you work out, you're, excuse me, when you work out, you're tearing muscles. And those muscles build back and they get bigger. In our Christian life, when we struggle with sin, we are getting torn up. But through God's love and God's forgiveness and God's grace, we come back. Think about it. Think about the sins that you have committed in your life that could have taken you out. But God used them for something beautiful. That's what God wants to do. Why? Again, because He loves you. And the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, that no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to humanity. God is faithful and he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able to bear. But with temptation, he will also provide a way of escape so that you are able to bear it. Understand, I, it's just like when, you're, when I'm working out, I can just put the weight on and the weight on. And, and I, I see that passage of as, as, I, as, I, as I grow in, in my and my ability to, to do more weight, I'm pushing more weight on the bars. And when I lift them, the strength, it, it, it's happening. It, it's growing. I'm, I'm pushing more weight. But it's only because of the strength that, I, that I've been given 
to build up to that point. And the point I guess I'm trying to make here is that sometimes we'll just pray, God, get me out of this situation. And sometimes that's what you need. But sometimes the situation you're in is right where God wants you. And He will give you the strength to stand up under it. Or He'll give you a way out. Last but not least, if you're a Christian in here today and you have habitual sin in your life, if you have habitual sin in your life, I'm going to give you three ways to deal with that. These are three things that will help you get out of that habitual sin. Number one, seek power and wisdom. We seek power and wisdom from the Holy Spirit through prayer, and we speak and we read the Bible, and it gives us wisdom. Number two, stay away from those things that are hurting you. It's it's all about location, is it not? If I'm an alcoholic, I don't need to be hanging out at the ABC store. If I'm trying to lose weight, I do not need to go to Golden Corral. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes when it says all you can eat, I believe that. And I try to, to make that a case. But we need to stay away from those things that trip us up. And then finally, we need to seek help. Accountability, everyone says, yes, preacher, preach that. We all need to be accountable to someone. Accountability is fine until someone uses it on us. I can't tell you the number of people who said, preacher, just... Hold, just tell me what I'm doing wrong. And when you see me, just hold me accountable. And when I do it, they never talk to me again. Be brave enough to have people in your life that you trust enough that know that they love you to say, dude, you're wrong. Or friend, you don't need to be doing this. And I love you and let me pray with you. If you want to overcome habitual sin, these, it's not easy. But these are the three steps to doing that. So today I would ask you, is your faith real or counterfeit? A true believer can sin, confess, repent, and be forgiven. But a counterfeit believer continues in sin without any guilt or remorse. If we are going to love God, we are going to love Him more than our selfish desires. And you know what God asked you and asked me today? Does he love me or does he love me not? Does she love me or does she love me not? If you'd like to know him as your Savior and Lord and accept that love that he has for you, you can come forward this time and we'll pray with you and you will know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you're God's child. If you need prayer for sin, you want to join this church or just come to the altar. It's open for you. Would you stand?